Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Congrats, graduates. Church, how are you? Doing well? Good energy this morning. It's good to see Pastor Dave on the video. They're having a great time. I don't know if you've been keeping up with those Facebook videos, but look forward to having them back next week, but some really good, meaningful work there in Africa. So we're praying for safety as they come back. And church, here we are. We are on part three of our series, Dysfunctional. And how are you feeling? Dysfunctional. Feeling good? Okay. Um, and you'll see, I have some guests up here. We, I have the privilege of, of team teaching. We're going to do a little team teaching here with the lovely Candace and the lovely John. Um, so it's going to be fun. Let me do a little context and we'll jump right into part three. We're going to be in Genesis 39, 1 through 23 for the uh, three of you that have your Bible. Just kidding. It's going to be on the screen though for us. But quick context here. Um, uh, Pastor Dave kicked off this series two weeks ago, talked about Jacob and how Jacob had a lot of different sons and the tribes and how kind of all that breaks down. And then uh, Joseph is his favorite son. And uh, he is a dreamer and he has two dreams. The first is uh, this dream about these wheat uh, grain kind of stacks and uh, they're a representative of the brothers and, and all the stacks of grain bow down to Joseph. And Pastor Dave uh, helped us with this. It wasn't the wisest thing that he did next, but he told his brothers, hey, I had this awesome dream of you guys all bowing down to me. They were mad. And he has another dream. It's a little bit more cosmic and bigger. It's about the sun, the moon, and the stars representing the family. And in that dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to Joseph. And what does he do? He tells the family, I had this awesome dream. And they're angry. And even Jacob's mad, and he'll get over it because Joseph's his favorite, but the brothers do not get over it. They're so angry with Joseph, and they plot to kill him, and they throw him in this pit, and then Reuben and Judah end up talking them out of killing Joseph, but they sell him into slavery. And that's where we are. Last week, we talked a little bit about dreams, too. I don't know if you remember that, but... Uh, the gap between our dreams and the fulfillment of those dreams, the future reality, and how do you live in the gap journeying with God? You have to trust God. You have to forgive, right? Forgiveness plays a crucial role in Joseph's story as he forgives his brothers. And then you also have to keep your eye on the king, right? I don't know if you remember that little baseball analogy, keep your eye on the ball if you were here last week. But. So here we are, Genesis 39, 1 through 23. I'll read the first part here, and then John and Candace will take over. Here we go. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar... Whoa. (laughs) 
So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. It's me. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. <laughs> but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then? Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, he, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. I have to say it creepy like that. There's no other way to do it. <laughs> But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story... His wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But Joseph, while there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That is the word of the Lord today. Colton's going to help us sort through it. All right. You might be wondering, uh, how did we get that text for Promotion Sunday? <laughs> I don't know, it just happened. No, but we're going to look at it from a 10,000-foot lens here this morning, and, and it's, a, it's a crazy story. Joseph is sold into slavery, and then he does really well in Potiphar's house, and then wrongly accused, and he gets thrown into prison. Just the ups and downs and the circumstances all over the place. And, and what, what can we glean from this text? And the, the first three points we're going to go through is geared towards young people. So young people, right, write this down. Um, or just remember it, right? Um, and, um, and graduates and all of you stepping into the new phase of life here. Let's see where I'm at here. And the first point is this, is God is with you. Genesis 39, 2 begins with, and the Lord was with Joseph. A, a fundamental truth that I hope young people and, and really all of us here have gathered is that God is with us. God is with you. It's a fundamental truth in Christianity that hopefully you know deep within your soul, deep within your bones, is that the creator of the universe, the king of all things, is with you. He's near. He's close. Every step of your journey, he's right beside you. And we see that through Joseph's story, through the ups and the downs, through the pit and the slavery and, and prison. God is with him, and God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. 
About 300 years after this Joseph story, there's a man named Moses. And you've probably heard of Moses. Moses has an up-and-down story, too, just like Joseph. And he finds himself in, a, in the wilderness with this community, and he's doing pretty well. And, but then he has this encounter with God, the burning bush encounter, where, where God calls him to go free the people. Go free my people, God says to him. And, and Moses, you might remember this, Moses makes up all these excuses. Uh, he says to God, God who am I should I, that I should go to Egypt? And God continually reminds him, I'll be with you. I can't speak very well, and God says again, I'll be with you. What if they don't believe me, God says again, I'll be with you. What if they don't listen to me, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I am who I am, and I will be with you every step of the way. So graduates, you are kind of jumping into a new season here, um, out into the unknown a little bit. And my prayer is that you remember deep within your soul is that God is with you. And God will go with you wherever you go, every step of the way. In our fear, God is with us. In our anxiety, God is with us. In our doubts about the future, which some of us may be there, God is with us. In our indecision, in our pain, whatever the circumstance is, God is with us. He's close, and it makes all the difference. That's right. God is with us. And our next point for our young folks today, those promoting on, is to keep the dream. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And there's some real practical things that we can do. It might sound a little cliche, but Joseph did this in this passage. He made the right decision. He made that right decision not once, not twice, but three times, four times. So make the right decision and put it on repeat in your lives. Hard seasons and bad things may still happen, but God won't leave you alone for despair. Again, we see this with Joseph somehow in prison. He's positioned to have a, posi- a, a place of leadership there in the jail, a place of influence. My guess is he continued to make God his main thing, and he made good decisions, and he put it on repeat. So this mess of a situation was the very thing that the Israelites needed to get their own closer to the power of the king. It's what was the setting for the table of the Exodus for the Israelites. Um, All right, now we're going to get a little interactive here. How many of you, like, have been in the ocean before? Okay, okay, good. Maybe some of you haven't. That's Well, hopefully you can get the picture I'm going to describe here. You see, God's love for us is like being in the ocean. The waves come and go. Gentle waves come. Harsh waves come. Might beat us up a little bit. But there's something that we can feel when we're in the ocean. There's something at our legs and our toes, and it's the undercurrent. And that's like God's love for each and every one of us. And it's important to remember as we journey through these hard things that you have to stay focused. And let me just say that you are worth the hard work. Some snippets from Psalm 139 just to remind you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. God works, God's works are wonderful in you. You are wonderfully made. You deserve to make choices for your your life that are good, and and you need to put them on repeat. Make good choices, is what Candace was saying. Make good choices. How many of your parents have said that to you? Make good choices. Make good choices. So my daughter's here. We went down to the playground when we were young. When she was young, I was old. And... um, We were playing on the jungle gym, and I was up there with her so she wouldn't fall down because she was like two years old. And um, 
there was a kid down at the bottom in the wood chips, and he was just being a kid, and he grabs some wood chips, and he chucks them up at us in the jungle gym. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what? who does that? Um, it's probably Christian, honestly. <laughs> and um, his mom is sitting over there, and she's like, make good choices. <laughs> I was like, you're going to come get him? <laughs> so we're just you know, continuing to play, and he keeps doing it, like freaking, like just chucking wood chips at us. And I was like, what? Ugh. And they like get in her hair and then he just keeps going and he's laughing and his mom is just sitting there, make good choices, make good, make good choices. And they get in her mouth. And at that point I'm like, okay, I'm going down there and I'm going to start making choices for him. <laughs> and they're not going to be good choices. Because I was done. And that's how it is, right? We desire to have these good things that we do, right? We, we're going to gently parent our kids. We're not going to yell at them and give them trauma, which is great until something happens because we can't control all the things. And, um, and that's how it is, right? Sometimes we make choices. We make the right choices, but we make them just for all the wrong reasons. And that's kind of what, what's going on here. If you look at the Old Testament, you will see some stuff again and again and again. One of the things that you see a lot is water, right? Whenever it's talking about like big bodies of water, it's talking about chaos and that God is going to come and calm the chaos. So in the creation story, he's over the waters and he calms the waters. The, the Israelites walk through the water that God is holding back a couple times. God is conquering the chaos. Another thing that you see all the time in the Old Testament is the mention of ancient Egypt. Whenever ancient Egypt is mentioned, that is the place of oppression and problems. Not the promised land. The promised <laughs> land is where God leads the Israelites, and Egypt is where they go back to when they're having problems. When I was in my 20s, I had an amazing job. I worked at a video game development studio, and we made video games, which is the greatest job ever, right? Until you actually have it. Um, <laughs> And I was the guy making the music and the sound effects for the video games. It was like the greatest job at the greatest job. And it was, it was cool. I put my identity and life into that job. I slept in my office. I worked there continuously. Like every time people would say, what do you do? I'm a sound guy. I work at a video game company. Because I was trying to get the affirmation and the attention and the esteem from that job. And I worked and worked and worked at it. But I didn't get it. And, and I, if you look at the way it is, like I was living in Egypt, right? How many of us do that? We, we put all of our time and effort and lives into building this thing for someone else or for just whatever, and it's Egypt. It has no real purpose. And I know I had no real purpose because I got laid off and the company closed and we hadn't made anything that won a bunch of awards. We hadn't made anything that sold a bunch. We didn't get the acclaim and my career was over. There was no stepping up from not having a great track record into something great. It was it. I didn't make it. I was living in Egypt. When the Israelites encounter a famine, 
or a drought or there's a big enemy coming to kill them all. They don't go to God. They go to Egypt over and over in the Old Testament. And when I look at my life, and I'm not talking about your life, talking about my life, I see this over and over. I go to people to try to get their attention. I go to things. You should see my Amazon shopping list this week as I was trying to avoid doing this sermon. <laughs> and the things that I bought and added, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll return them. Um, because I'm trying to get some fulfillment out of this stuff. And it's, it's not going to love me back, no matter what I do. Jesus says, seek the kingdom first, and all this stuff will be taken care of. And I, I flip it backwards. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do the thing, and that's going to fulfill me. And then I'm going to make a name for myself, and then God will bless me. No, it's, that's backwards. I think I'm going to get the purpose here, but he already gave me the purpose. I have to connect with God to get the purpose, and I just constantly don't. If you look at Joseph, he has it all, basically, right? He's got everything, and it doesn't protect him. He still ends up in the pit. He still ends up in prison. He doesn't get protected from anything by having it all. Potiphar's wife literally has it all except for him. She still wants more. She gets him, and when she can't have him, she throws him away, and she despairs at that. How many of you guys have done that? Like, there's this thing that you're saving for. You finally get it. You're like, yes, it comes. You're like, oh, what's next, right? That's what I do because it's all for nothing. Young people talking to you. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt. I know there's stuff that you think is going to make everything work for you. I know the things that you think about because you play the guitar and it's all just toys. I know how it is. It's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to fulfill you. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't do it. Connect to God. It's the only thing that's going to do it. Amen. So good. Thanks, Johnny. All right, we're going to switch gears here. Now we're talking to all people who uh, journey alongside young people. So hopefully that's everyone here. Um, at Montrose Church, we want to be an intergenerational church. So hopefully you see young people and, and all that kind of stuff. And this is the first point as we, how do we journey alongside young people? The first point is this, pray for your kids. Um, pray for your kids. I heard this quote and I was really convicted by it the other day. If God answered every one of your prayers, would it change anyone's life but your own? A little bit convicting. How often do you pray for others? Uh, maybe you do a lot. Some of us are, are better than others at praying for others. When you, when you pray for others, it's called intercession. Prayers of intercession. It means uh, to come in between, to fill the gap, to petition God on behalf of someone else. And it's modeled in scripture and it's modeled by Jesus and he calls us to pray these kinds of prayers. Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your grandkids? Do you pray for the young people you see running around Montrose Church? Uh, young people have it harder than ever in our culture when finding purpose, when finding healthy practices, and with finding Jesus. Why? Because there's all kinds of stuff. 
all kinds of stuff, good stuff, bad stuff, but all kinds of stuff coming at them at 100 miles an hour. Young people are inundated with identities, voices, and stories, all claiming the good life. And if you don't believe me, just hop on TikTok for a little bit and scroll. It's crazy, right? All kinds of voices calling them back to somewhere. And just like Pastor John said so good, it's, it's, it's Egypt. It's somewhere that we think we'll get all this promise and fulfillment, but it's really going to leave us in chains. So we must pray for our young people. My prayer is that Montrose Church is a, is a community that gets on our knees and we pray for young people because we want them to know they're not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today, right? And we serve them, we volunteer, we throw resources at youth ministries. Why? Because it matters. And we must pray for them. Day in and day out, pray for the young people in your life. Here's a beautiful story that I think helps with this idea. It's about a woman named Monica and her son. Monica was a single mom with one child. She was a devout believer who sang hymns over her child in his infancy and prayed nightly with her hand on his forehead. The boy grew up to see the world quite differently from his mother. As an adolescent, he became known in their North African town as a womanizer and would often be seen publicly drunk at untold hours of the night. He had an an extraordinary intellect and eventually grew into a philosopher, channeling all his energy into combating his mother's Christian faith. Monica didn't give up. She continually prayed nightly for her son's salvation, just as she had done with her hand on his tiny forehead when she was a young mother. When he was 19, she had a dream through which she believed God was promising to answer her prayers for her son. In response to her dream, she grew more intense in her prayer. A year passed, then another year, then another year, and there was no change, no moment of hope, no change of the heart or openness to belief. Nine years after the dream, he made plans to travel to Rome, known for its revelry and debauchery. Monica stayed awake all night in intense prayer that God would prevent his travels. Little did she know that her son had changed his plans and sailed for Rome the very, that very night, already on his way as she prayed. On that trip, sitting alone one afternoon in a Roman garden, Monica's son heard the audible voice of God speaking to him. Bewildered, he he opened the very scriptures he dedicated himself to despising and disproving. Right then and there, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Monica's son is named Augustine, and he went on to be widely considered the greatest theologian in history and the father to the early Christian church. Have you heard of Augustine? Christian giant in the faith. I love that story. The mom continued to pray powerful intercession prayers for her son, wouldn't stop. Church, we must pray for our young people. Come on in, man. Join us. Uh, Carl Bart once said this To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Prayer is a means by which we push back the curse that's infected us and push back the darkness. My prayer is that as a church, we are a a church, a body, a community that pushes back the darkness with our prayers for young people, always praying for them, praying for our kids. Um, And not only can we pray for them, but we can model our faith, which John is going to jump into. (laughs) Modeling your faith. That's the one I got. We were dividing this up, and we were like, what's 
you know, what, who's going to take what, and how's it all going to work, and modeling your faith was the one I got, and I was like, that's, that's awesome, like, I can nail this one, like, I've been working here for 20 years, and we've got shelves full of Bibles, and we got stacks of books about God everywhere, and Robin and I lead the music at Kids Church, so we're constantly singing the Christian songs, and we pray together all the time, like, this is easy, done, modeling. Then it came time for open house. And at open house, uh, my son made a poem. And it was about his family. And um, I'm just going to read it to you because it's, 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 I tried to explain it last time at Brazil, and I just, I just need to read it to you. It's about like the sensations of growing up in our house and like how it is and like what you hear and all these things. I'm thinking it's going to be like about Jesus and thankfulness and how much we love him and all these things. And you know where this is going already. <laughs> Here it is. I come from California from people with brown hair and blue eyes. I come from smells of wood, dust, And sometimes books from people who, and here's it going to be, right? It's going to be Jesus. From people who like to play video games, <laughs> watch TV, and sleep. <laughs> I should stop because <laughs> it's worse. I come from <laughs> words like Jesus, right? No. Stop. <laughs> Get your socks on <laughs> and dinner time. <sighs> they taught me how to swing, climb, and run. Nothing about Jesus at all. <laughs> this is my family. I was just like, <laughs> I have failed. Like, you know, you're sitting, you're standing in the classroom, like reading this. You're like, yeah, like I, I failed. It's, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Because the books and the songs and the stuff, that's not modeling your faith. That's getting ready for church. And it's good to get ready for church. I'm glad we do. Uh, but that's not modeling my faith. Because modeling your faith is what happens in the reaction when you encounter adversity. What happens how your faith, the things you believe, inform how you behave when something bad happens. When something writes, someone writes something on Facebook that you don't agree with. When someone is driving too slowly in front of you or cuts you off. When someone at a restaurant doesn't give you your fries fast enough. That is what informs your reactions, your faith, or your lack of faith. And your kids are watching that, right? If we are not doing the things like looking at people and respecting them and loving them and treating them with kindness, then we are not modeling our faith. We're modeling something else. And it's not always good. I think at my house, if I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm supposed to because it's church, um, I don't model faith very much. I model fear and worry. And, um, and I know that I model fear and worry in anger, right? That's how that's, it comes out in anger and I snap at my kids and I, I hear them snapping at each other just the same way that I do. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's me. That's, I haven't modeled that very well. There's a, there's a line from a song that was written a couple years ago 
Um, it was premiered right here in Montrose. It was written by our own Eric McClenahan in one of the children's musicals. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. It says, I'm so tired of feeling alone. The only time they see me is through a screen on their phones. I can see everything that they choose to do, and some of it's not very kind. Deep down, they know what is right and what's true, but I wish they would keep it in mind. And that has stuck with me for years. Like, is that how my kids think of me? Do they think of me only looking at them when I'm taking their picture? Do they think that I'm on my phone so much that it's between us? Do they have to perform to get my attention because I'm so distracted? It convicted me. And when I wonder about, like, why do I act this way and what do I do, I, I, you know, how do you fix this? I, I hate it when you go to a sermon and they say, this is the thing you do wrong, and then they just move on. Like, no. Therapy is how you fix this. But um, since we can't do that right now, let me, let me tell you what I have figured out. Um, when I snap at my kids, when I'm mad at my kids, and you can do this like for, with your own kids or the kids in the street that are running around in front of your car or whatever, when I snap at them, I'm acting out in anger, but what is really going on? And so I have started to walk back like what the problem is. And I'm not very good at it yet, but I, I've started to see some stuff. So if my kid breaks his own toy, that's on him, right? But I get mad. That doesn't make any sense. Why am I mad at my kid for breaking his own toy? Well, part of it is because I'm worried for him. Because now he doesn't have the thing that he wanted to play with, and he's going to get upset, and he's going to cry, and he's going to whine, and he may ask me, like, why can't we just buy a new one? And I have to explain to him why we're poor and, like, all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of worry in there. There's a lot of fear and that is what I'm modeling instead of the good stuff that I want to model, which is unfortunate because I work at a church and I should do better at it than that. But I have good news because we have these guys. And these guys do a really good job of modeling. Where's Matt? Is Matt here? You know, Matt is probably church. down at children's church helping. So here, so there's this kid, Matt. And like Henry does this, and a lot of these guys do this, but Matt in particular, because you always see him like riding around this weird skateboard thing around town. Um, he got to church on Easter Sunday at 6.30 in the morning. He was up and dressed and showered, maybe, and working <laughs> at 6.30 in the morning. I wasn't even awake yet at 6.30 in the morning on Easter and he was working. That is amazing. Think about teenagers. What comes to mind? They're lazy. They're always on their phones. They just sleep all the time. They just sneer at you, right? Which is all of those things are kind of true. But we have a special group of teenagers that don't do just that. They go down there and they help all the time. A whole bunch of these guys do that every single Sunday. We had a kid... Um, when we were in COVID, we did online youth group, which was awful. And, um, you know, we had this one kid, and I was sure that she hated me and hated church, but she showed up because we didn't have anything better to do. And I'd be like, hey, Alex, like, what, what do you think about this? She'd be like, shut <laughs> up, John. <laughs> like, she would unmute from Zoom. Shut up, John, and remute again. 
it's hard. It's hard. So I'm down at Children's Church, and we're like, we're, you know, we're doing our stuff, and she's there, and she's helping. And last week, I was like, Alex, what in the world? Why are you here? I thought you hated church. And she's like, I don't know. I'm just, it's inspiring. And I was like, what? It's inspiring? She's like, yeah, I'm like, just being around Candace and like being here, I'm inspired to help. I was like, that's good stuff. I want you to understand that like none of these teenagers have their lives together yet. Joseph didn't have his life together yet. They're all still hurting. And that's the thing. You don't have to wait till you've got it all together to start helping. You don't have to wait till you're not hurting anymore to go help some kids. It's time. It's time. Let's do this. Candace is going to talk about this more, about mentoring. So, <laughs> We've got pray for your kids, model your faith, and nurture matters. Uh, children development experts like Piaget and Erickson have been writing about this for a long time, but as kids leave their primary social bond of their family, their immediate family, and explore out into the world, they start to make other relationships and other bonds. And as this happens, so much of brain development is happening. And we need to think about their spirituality as this is going on. The Harvard Center on the Developing Child has a study that says every child who winds up doing well has at least one, it's not very many, one, stable adult in a committed relationship that supports them. There are additional studies that this work of the supportive adult can last up to two to three decades in a person's life. We have to think about this bonding and as it relates to the child's spirituality. Jesus nurtured. He had a wonderful way of making people feel like they belonged everywhere he went. Perhaps it was in his humility when he washed the disciples' feet. He met many needs by his miracles, feeding the 5,000, telling his stories, and teaching. He also invited people all along the way to his plans. He was so generous with his time, with the disciples, with Mary, with Martha, with Lazarus. Another way Jesus nurtured was through sharing celebrations, specifically the Passover. This is the holiday to mark the remembrance that the Israelites got out of slavery. The celebration was a special feast, and it's important to celebrate with our young folks. Whether it's a hard time, hard work, the possibilities are endless of things that you could celebrate, but it's important to remember and reflect on a moment that's worthy. Another way that Jesus nurtured is he made space for people's wonders. All the time people were coming to Jesus saying, how do we get to heaven? How many times do we have to forgive someone? How much tithing do we have to do? And he made space for them right in that moment. We need to do this with our young people too. Make space for their honest grapplings with their current situation. It might even be their own identity. We have to make room. We have to help them make meaning out of all of it. Imagine and wonder. And then once we do that, we need to help them transform these wonderings into something that can face the world and humanity. Acknowledgement of tough times, the pits and the valleys and the wilderness is something that Jesus did too. These things seem impossible. But giving them a name so you can bring words to the situation is the best thing we can do. These tough times look different for every kid. 
Some are about social dynamics at school. Others involve mental health and need professionals. Trauma, loss, so much. Kids cannot be left alone in these circumstances. You need to put some of your stuff down to get into the pit and help them. This requires deep sacrifice. And as the supportive adult, we have to go into these pits listening, helping, guiding, encouraging, speaking words of truth and praying. See, Jesus used his influence to do the ultimate. He made a way for all of our unloving decisions to be washed clean so we could have eternal life with the Lord. We all have influence. It might not look like Jesus's, but we all have influence. No matter what it is, your relationships, your stuff, your time, your love, your knowledge, your finances, identify what it is. Use it to nurture our youth. I want to encourage you today, if you're already showing up as a mentor, already journeying with kids, thank you so much. You are making a difference in a life, one life at a time, just like Jesus did. Those of you maybe were convincing today to be a mentor, we're so thankful too. Please reach out to one of us, Colton, John, or myself. Even our Faith Promise partners have some awesome opportunities to mentor young folks in our community. I'm going to close here with a personal story, and then I'm going to invite the band to come up. About five years ago, after having our second son, our family was called by God to go into a pit for a kiddo that we never met before. A family member in Arizona was in trouble. She was five weeks old and in emergency foster care with acute medical conditions. Our oldest son liked to tell everyone her has no family. We worked really hard with the County of Los Angeles Department of Child Services but we were told that it would take two years before they would even work on our case and tell the state of Arizona that we could be a foster family for her. We updated her caseworker as soon as we found out, and the words over the phone lines, just move to Arizona, resounded. She proceeded to explain that if this happened, they would do their very best to streamline the process. And thankfully, due to some very generous friends, also named Candace and Darren, we were able to live in their four-bedroom house one mile away from Ch Children's Phoenix Hospital, Arizona. After many doctor's appointments, hospital stays, interviews, house inspections, court hearings, her has a family. The success witnessed in her life is staggering. After about three months, her hair began to grow. She graduated from early intervention, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy. Today she knows 26 sight words, and she's on her way to kindergarten. <laughs> Healing and resilience coming out of the pit looks different for everybody. With God, it's all possible. I'm going to invite the band to come up now. We're going to pray for people journeying through the pit today. We're going to pray for our young folks again. Dear loving God, forgive us for not fixing our eyes upon you. When things are hard, Help us to feel the undercurrent of your love every day. God, we lift up to those young folks in the pit today. 
Help reassure them that things will change, Lord. Help them to reassure them of your love. For those journeying with young folks, God, just help give them the wisdom to know what type of nurturing they need to use, where to turn. Pray for their daily renewal so they can keep journeying. We lift up all those being promoted. We just ask that you bless all these transitions. We cast away anxiety so they can move forward with joy and great anticipation for all that you have in store for them. God, and will you hold each and every one of us close in your hands as we navigate our life. We love you. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us for we can close out our morning? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.